right, welcome back to the fifth episode of the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lebovich, and I'm here with my boy and my co-host, Mark Abramovitz. For those who have been with us the entire time, welcome back. For any new listeners, welcome. What we do here on the Sweet Spot Podcast is we discuss the intersection between the utilization of data and human decision-making in baseball development and gameplay. However, and I say however, we have a very different episode on tap for you guys. What we're going to be discussing is the NFL. And the reason why we're doing that is because there was a situation that occurred in this past week's playoff game that is exactly the kind of stuff that we want to talk about on this podcast. It is exactly the intersection between when data analytics and human decision-making gets blurred, and there was a situation where a coach decided to trust the analytics over a gut decision, and it ended up costing them the game. So, Mark, why don't you dive into a little bit what we're going to be talking about today? What's up, Jake? Like you said, we've got an emergency pod today. We're usually a baseball podcast, but today we're talking football. We're talking about Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions in their NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers. For those who may not know, there were a couple of controversial fourth down calls as well as end-of-game clock management calls. We're going to focus a little bit more on the fourth down decisions that Dan Campbell made. There's been a lot of talk since that game about analytics and the kind of coach that Dan Campbell is, the kind of team that he coaches over there. And that is what we want to talk about today. The first thing that I want to say, having seen some of the rhetoric that has come out of those decisions, is I need receipts from people who are criticizing this decision from what they were saying at the time because my god is it easy after they lose that game to sit back and say well they lost the game by three points he left two field goals on the table you make both those field goals you're up by three points instead of down by three points and so hindsight 2020 they win the game because i would imagine i can't guarantee this the people who so vehemently take that view of this is a terrible decision, you take the points, I can't believe it. If you're coming at that decision with that kind of passion, I'm led to believe that had that decision worked, you would be the same people saying he's the best coach in the NFL. He's so gutsy. He laid it all out there and he made a great decision. And I think that that has happened all year with Dan Campbell specifically. He's a guy that continuously gambled on fourth down throughout the entire season. This is a Lions team that won their division, and they did that by taking these gutsy calls on fourth down. They are a team that went for it probably more than anyone in the entire NFL. And the entire season, what did everybody say? Dan Campbell has such guts. He's a gutsy coach. He always lets his team go out and leave it on the field. And now all of a sudden people are going to be like, we're going to bail on this guy. That was the wrong call when he was doing it all year and getting praise for it. That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. I saw a stat afterwards to your point about how much they went for it on fourth down and how good they were that if you total up all the times they were going for it on fourth down up until the NFC championship game throughout the season, they added a total 
of 63 percentage points of expected win percentage from their fourth down decisions in the beginning of the season. That speaks to your point. They went for a lot of fourth downs. They got a lot of fourth downs. That was the kind of team they were. In the NFC Championship game, their fourth down decisions cost them 18 percentage points of win probability or expected win percentage added. Or It was ESPN statistic, if anybody wants to go check it out. Another thing that I want to talk about here is that And this also comes out of some of the rhetoric I've been hearing afterwards and something that I want to clear up for my end. The analytics do not say anything. There is no robot that is in the coach's ear or in their brain telling them what to do. The analytics are a set of numbers on a sheet. We talked about this a little bit in our last episode. It's like batting average in the mid-1900s. They're just stats and numbers. They don't say anything. They're tools to help coaches make decisions. So the thing that's confusing to me is the image that comes up on the screen when you're watching the game, it includes the word says. It literally says analytics say you should go for it. And that's kind of confusing to me because when I see that, I do think that there's some sort of system telling and almost suggesting to the coach what to do. And I guess that isn't really the case. So this comes back to the conversation we had on our last episode about war. And we praised war because one thing it's really good at is taking a lot of complicated information and presenting it in a very straightforward and concise way. It says the player is worth this many wins above replacement. That's similar to what we have on the screen when we're watching a football game that says should go for it or shouldn't go for it. But the more interesting question is what's under the hood. And so I give very little weight to that when I see it on the screen, because at the end of the day, here's what it could be saying. It probably says something like, if you don't go for it, your percentage chance of winning is X. And if you do go for it, your percentage chance of winning is X plus 5%. And so all they're doing there is comparing which one is higher And that spits out a should or shouldn't. Now, this was also from me watching the rhetoric on ESPN afterwards. ESPN's model said that not going for, and pardon me, I don't remember which fourth down it was, but they said not going for the fourth down gave them a 38.8% chance of winning and going for it had a 39.1% chance of winning. So you have a 0.3 percentage point difference in their model of whether or not you're going to win the game. And so if you want to boil that down to a should or shouldn't decision, the answer is should, it's higher. But it makes a big difference how close it is because then you can start to think about what does the model know, quote unquote, or what does it not? Which brings me to a very important point, which is that all models are bad, but some models are useful. What do I mean by that? No model is a perfect representation of reality. Reality is a complex, random, probabilistic thing. And a model is a very neat, usually straightforward thing to understand. If it's a good model, it should be straightforward to understand. So all models are bad. No model is going to be a great representation of reality. But some models are useful. Some models in their very simplistic representation of complex things can tell you about interesting structure. And so when it comes to that kind of decision where maybe it's 0.3 percentage points off, 
that's where a coach has to sit and think, okay, and this is why I think it's important for coaches to have an understanding of the data side of things, because it's important for a coach to say, all right, I know what kinds of things this model does and does not take into account. And maybe in this moment, one thing that it does not take into account is this playoff atmosphere, for example, or the way that I've seen my team perform on this specific drive. It could be something as simple as that. And so that's where you look at a difference of 0.3 percentage points and say, this is really on me because the model doesn't say much. Now, if the model said you have a 75% chance of winning if you go for it and a 25% chance of winning if you don't, which is obviously an over-exaggeration, but to demonstrate the point, that's where it's like, it's not really saying anything, but if it could, it'd be screaming, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think something that we also have to take into consideration is when that percentage says 65% go for it because it increases your percentage by X, Y, and Z, right? You also have to realize that Dan Campbell's creating a play to get somebody open so that Jared Goff can hit a guy in the chest, right? That's 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 the plan. But just like we talk about all the time on this podcast, not only is there human decision-making, there's human error. And what happened was he crafted a play. It was successful in regards to getting a guy open jared goff made a throw to the numbers and someone dropped it there's nothing that you can do to predict that he drew up the right play he got a guy open and like unforeseen errors you know it's not like he called an hb draw and they ran into a wall that's not what happened he called a good play he got a guy open his quarterback made the throw Someone dropped it. Maybe the guy blinked. Maybe he got a blade of grass in his eye. Who knows? There's nothing to, you know, be able to predict that. And that is where, I guess, the shortcomings are. Like, at the end of the day, he probably did the right thing. He probably followed the model and the percentages were in his favor. He created the good play and there's nothing you're going to do about it now. So it's just interesting to see people really slandering that decision when, you know, I think it was a good one in a sense. Um, I don't know about both of them. I think that the first one was a really good decision. I don't necessarily agree about the second one, but we'll hash that out a little later. Yeah. People talked about how much the momentum would swing in the game if you get stopped on fourth down, where you could just take a field goal, take your points, perhaps keep the momentum in your favor by doing that. And the gutsy decision to go for it on fourth down has the potential to give the other team all of your momentum, more so than kicking a field goal would. I could see how Dan Campbell, being the type of coach that he is, and having coached that team a particular way all season, could look at even kicking the field goal as a huge momentum-shifting signal to both sidelines, both to his own sideline that, you know what? I know I've trusted the offense all year, but right here, I don't know if I trust you guys for it. Yeah, And a signal to the other team to say, I know I'm pretty gutsy, but I don't know if I want to do that against you guys. So I can see how he may have looked at that and said, I don't see going for it as having more, let's call it variance 
in future momentum than kicking a field goal would. He might say, yeah, if we're settling for a field goal, that's not something I do. So that's very clearly also a sign of shifting the momentum. And this builds off really well to what we just recently spoke about in our last episode of the podcast. And we've touched about on this multiple times on the first episode as well, intangibles. When are analytics going to be able to measure intangibles, right? Momentum is a huge one. How does momentum even factor into that percentage, that percentage change? Probably not. But I agree with you that like everyone is saying, oh, this could be a momentum shifter. What I actually saw was, um, I believe it was Jared Goff and Amon Ra and all of those starting players were, were always very satisfied with Campbell's decision to leave them on the field. They felt like their coach was leaving it in their hands to decide the outcome of their drive, their game, their win, their season. And that was something that the team really banked on. So I agree with you that if, listen, again, I don't know that I personally agree with both of the calls, but I could see a world where it would almost be a little bit of a low blow in terms of my coach doesn't have confidence in us to do it right here when he had confidence in us to do it all year. So I could see where that shift could occur. That's why I don't give much credence to the argument that hinges on how much the momentum would have shifted one way or another because you got stopped on fourth down for exactly that reason, that he put a ton of confidence in his guys all year, showing a lack of confidence in that moment could perhaps be seen as an even bigger momentum shifting signal. Speaking of signal, we've spoken about a couple of different data science concepts on the podcast before, specifically in the first episode. And another concept that I want to bring up here is the idea of the signal to noise ratio. The basic concept of the signal to noise ratio is you want to have enough good data or signal to the bad data or noise that you have. A very intuitive explanation of this is something as simple as recording a podcast. When I'm looking at the audio, I ought to hope that our audio is coming out clearly enough above any background noise. If there were too much background noise, if you were standing in Times Square while trying to record the podcast, there is literally too much noise in the form of physical noise there to hear the signal being the audio that we're trying to have come through. And the way that the signal to noise ratio comes up here is looking at something you do over the course of the entire season versus something that you do in the playoffs. In the regular season, in both baseball and football, it is much longer and has many more games that have a lot of data to look at than the playoffs are. And so if you only optimize for the playoffs or you do stuff differently in the playoffs because it's a playoff scenario, there might be too much noise to crowd out the signal of what you're using to look at decision making. And one thing that comes to mind when you say this is the Russell Wilson interception on the one-yard line. For me, when I was watching that play, it, it almost looked like a 99.9% chance that, that they were going to run that ball. And for some reason, the coach drew up a pass play because they thought maybe it could trick the defense. And I think that that was a case of 
a playoff biased call. I think that in 99% of regular season games, they run the ball there. And I don't think they think twice about it. And for some reason in the playoffs, they're like, oh, we're going to catch a defense off guard. Russell Wilson drops back, throws the ball, Malcolm Butler pick, Patriots Super Bowl. I mean, we all know what happened. And that is something that really stands out to me as like playoff biased data. I don't think they would ever decide to do that in the regular season. Yeah, that brings us back to what honestly was a huge motivation for doing this podcast in the first place, which was the Blake Snell decision in the World Series a few years ago. Exactly. Same kind of thing. I think in 99.9% of, that's probably a little high, but in a lot of regular season games, you're leaving Blake Snell in, in that situation. But because it's the playoffs, you look at it a little differently. Now, there are situations both in football and in baseball where you either have the luxury to make different decisions because of the playoffs. For baseball, that might be you don't need to worry about the longevity of your bullpen as much if it's a game seven, et cetera, et cetera. It could be something like that. And there could be other situations in football as well. I also personally do not fully subscribe to the theory that the playoffs are exactly like the regular season. And so we spoke about this on the last podcast also is that I think there are a lot of good baseball teams that rely a little too much on the long ball and it works for them in the regular season, but doesn't work in the playoffs. And so am I saying that every team should just look at exactly what happens in every playoff game and structure your lineup that way? No. But am I saying that I think some teams could do a little bit better by taking an example from the teams that are succeeding in the playoffs? Yes, because I do think there are some legitimate differences there. A metric that just popped into my head that could be interesting in the future is something called like playoff factor. I wish there was an element to that statistic that could be added to that percentage of should you go for it, should you not, because of a certain playoff factor, which kind of ties back into the conversation of measuring intangibles and how, you know, that's kind of something that both of us hope for the industry that it turns into is that you can kind of measure those intangibles. But if you could have a metric like something like playoff factor added to a statistic, I think it would make those decisions, I guess, way more justified. All right. So it's pretty clear that we both have thoughts on if this was the right call or not. Would you like to go first or should I go first telling the audience if we thought this was a good call or not? I can go first. So personally, I liked both of the fourth down decisions to go for it. I think you're on the road against the number one seed. You're a team that brings a certain intensity to the table. And as we spoke about before, there's an element of shifting the momentum one way or another, not just if you get stopped, but even if you choose to kick it, in my view, that could be a pretty big signal of shifting the momentum. And so I like the calls to go for it on fourth down both times. I'll add one caveat that I don't think running the ball on third down at the very end of the game was the right decision. I think the downside of that decision was too high in that not getting that third down touchdown basically ended the game for them because they needed an onside kick. I think if it got to fourth down there, I wouldn't have hated the decision to run it, even if they were three yards out. That's their bread and butter. That's the kind of team they are. I wouldn't have hated the decision to go to the ground game on fourth down, but using it on third down was too costly there. Both the fourth downs earlier in the game, I liked both decisions at the time. I 
can't say I agree with you 100% on this. And my reasoning is, one, a gut reasoning, and two, a little bit more of a logical reasoning. My gut reasoning was I thought about myself playing Madden, and I thought about myself in that situation, and I kicked a field goal there. So I was like, you know, I don't know what it is, but I feel like you just got to put the points up on the board. But I've played Madden with you, and I'm not sure if that's true. Fair point. Anyways, moving on. I thought about it like this, and, and I'll pose you a question. If you are sitting at a blackjack table and the dealer is showing a seven, you get dealt a queen and a six. What do you have to assume? That the dealer's got 17. Okay. And that's exactly why I thought they should have kicked the field goal, and I'll tell you why. I think you have to assume the Niners are going to go down and score regardless if you go for it or if you kick the field goal. And where they screwed themselves was they decided not to kick the field goal, and then the 49ers went down and scored. So then there's not enough time to be down two scores. However, if you're assuming the dealer has the 10 and you're assuming the Niners are going to score regardless, you have to put the points on the board knowing, hey, they probably will go down and score anyways, but at least we will have the ball at the end to potentially tie and or win. And that is exactly why I didn't like that call. Assuming the dealers got that 10, you got to assume the Niners are going to go back down and score. And I think that's where Dan Campbell went wrong. That is a really funny example that you bring up. And let me see if I could pull this up very quickly here because I remember from the book Astro Ball when it talks about Sig Meidel, who was a very instrumental figure for the Astros analytics department. He was a blackjack dealer for a bit, and it talks about hitting on a 16 against a 7. Let me read this quote here. I was just able to pull this up quickly. It talks about during his time as a blackjack dealer. There's an excerpt from the book. Sig also learned something that he would use more frequently during his professional career. He learned that human beings do not always make decisions that serve their own long-term self-interest, even when they are equipped with a wealth of experience and knowledge of the mathematical probabilities that ought to guide their choices. Even the sober patrons of the High Sierra usually decline to hit on a 16 against the dealer 7 because it sucked to bust, especially with a big bet on the table. The mathematically sound move was to take another card, though. This, to Sig, illustrated the limitations of human judgment. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it is right. Human beings tended to trust the combination of experience, intuition, and emotions that comprise their gut. Their gut certainly had value. Sometimes their gut was wrong. All things tie back to baseball, even football and blackjack. And that is exactly how we should end this podcast. Everything ties back to baseball. And that's just how we should leave it. See you next time on the next episode of the Sweet Spot Podcast. Wow, look at Mark trying to do the outro, huh? You left and it hanging there. Someone had to do it. As always, we will catch you next week on the Sweet Spot Podcast.